Welcome to Jackson Stays Home, a look at how one community, one county, has been affected and reacted to the coronavirus pandemic. My name is Scott Clow. I'm a morning show host in the city of Jackson, Michigan, and grew up in Brooklyn, Michigan, just 20 minutes south of my home and place of work. Even though my job is considered essential, we, like you, are practicing social distancing, and therefore all of the following interview pieces were done via phone. Growing up, I can remember my parents having countless conversations with me about the ripple effect, right down to my dad walking me down to the lake, asking me to throw out a stone and watch the impact a single event had on the surrounding environment. Thought about that a lot since this all started, how the actions of a single vendor in a wet market halfway across the world would change my life, my work, my family, my friends, my coworkers, and the businesses that make up my daily life. Maybe a ripple is too small of a metaphor. Shy of the physical devastation, it's more comparable to a tsunami. The tidal wave of change, social and fiscal destruction that the coronavirus has caused, and this wave hasn't even begun to recede. It's still making its way inland. On this episode of Jackson Stays Home, we talk to the people behind the businesses that have been forced to adjust, overcome, and yes, pivot. Businesses that you wouldn't think would have felt a ripple and those that feel as though they are on the beach facing the crest of an oncoming tidal wave. In the place it comes home. Most clients are saying, hey, I've had to shut my business down or I've had to furlough employees or um, you know I have less revenue coming in than I would have almost like school you know I got sent home my first day of class I got sent home my first day of work we kind of have to just you know play it by ear and and do whatever we have to to, to stay afloat you know as small businesses Nobody got upset, everybody understood, uh, and that's that's why I say we're like a family, everybody here. I think we remain calm, which we still are, but there was a lot of uncertainty then, and there's a little uncertainty now. Why wouldn't I do this? Why wouldn't I put everything on the line uh, to carry on this incredible legacy? And so that's what we did. Then COVID happened. Imagine early March. The coronavirus is something you are aware of, but your day-to-day life remains the same. Phrases like overreaction and don't believe the hype were being bandied about. Unemployment was at an all-time low, the market was up and down but still strong, and the demand for houses was unparalleled. So putting your financial well-being on the line and purchasing a business made perfect sense. This is Jennifer Scanlon with the Brokerage House, and I am a Jackson County native that very proudly uh, works in real estate. I've worked with the Brokerage House for almost 10 years, and actually going into 2020, had the privilege of acquiring that firm. You know, regardless of what's going on right now, we're still really excited about the future. I use the analogy because I've never done it, but uh, from what I understand, you kind of signed your life over and purchased yeah. the Brokerage House. Tell me about the enthusiasm and the hope at that time. It's just so hard to even rewind, but um, 
excitement and just commitment to Jackson County was what was in the forefront of our mind. Um, Sandy Simmons is my business partner. Uh, she helped her dad and Marianne Muller sustain the brokerage house for 25 years, I believe, and they were all my mentors for over 10 years. So uh, when the opportunity came up, it was like, why wouldn't I do this? Why wouldn't I put everything on the line uh, to carry on this incredible legacy? And so that's what we did. And, the and then COVID happened. And the market was entirely different. Tell me about the market prior to COVID. We were definitely riding a high. We were riding a high of fantastic interest rates and rising home prices as inventory was very low. It was well-prepared and well-priced. It didn't last 24 to 48 hours on the market. Then with all that momentum, with it being a seller's market, you were basically trying to find homes to sell. We were doing campaigns where I'm spending thousands of dollars to send out postcards in certain neighborhoods where I had people looking for homes. Basically, I was begging people that if they even had the thought about selling to take advantage of the strong market, the strong number of qualified buyers that were hungry for a house in their area. And it was paying off. We were getting a lot of response from it, but we were having to be very clever and how we hunted for homes for our buyers. Sitting down and talking with your husband and your family about purchasing a brokerage, that... I'm a pretty emotional person, so emotion always weighs very heavily on what we're um, moving forward in doing. And my biggest concern is, what if I blow it? What if I disappoint my family? What if I you know, hurt us financially? What if I let down Bob Simmons and the memory of Marianne Muller um, by taking, you know, 40 years of their legacy and failing? And it weighed really, really heavy on my heart, and it was through, you know, very deep prayer and, and thought and getting out of my own way to go ahead and make the commitment. And you went after it, you secured it, you signed over the paperwork. When was that? Well, we officially started doing business uh, in our new location February 1st of 2020. We had our official grand opening uh, with wonderful support from the community on March 12th. And on March 13th, the whole world changed. It's a pretty packed timeline. It just... I mean, I remember the school sending something out in the middle of February that said, hey, we just want to let you know we're ahead of this coronavirus thing. If anything happens, we're prepared. And I remember thinking, this is ridiculous. I mean, what a, what a waste of energy and money. This is never going to be an issue. You know, they're never going to cancel schools. They're never going to close businesses. And, you know, in a matter of weeks, all of that happened and then some. It was much more uh, dramatic and tragic and devastating than I could have ever imagined and obviously anything we could have ever prepared for. Shockingly, when the orders came down um, in the, the uh, financial piece, you know, like banks were allowed to keep working and, and all the people that helped support their efforts were able to keep working. So I just assumed that real estate would fall under that umbrella in every other state in the country it has. Um, but here it does not. Where were you when you heard that realty wouldn't office? What went through your mind? <laughs> I was in my office looking at the beautiful clock tower at the corner of Michigan and South Jackson and the beautiful mural 
on William Deary's office right across from us thinking, oh my God, what have I done <laughs> buying a business in the middle of probably you know the, the biggest crisis that we will know uh, for gener- you know, several generations past, several generations to come. And then I just had this sense of calm and thought, I built my business in the middle of a recession, and my job right now is not about sales, it's about service. What can we do to help our neighbors, our fellow men and women, our customers, you know, the, the, um, the people around us? And so everything just shifted. What was the conversation like with your partner that day? <laughs> there may have been some four-letter words and, you know, a little bit of a, a hissy fit throwing Intense fear, I mean, uh, that uncertainty of, you know, none of us have ever dealt with this. So there isn't even anybody to go to for guidance to say, well, what would you do? Because nobody's ever been through it. And one of the things I love the most about the brokerage house is the mentorship I've had with Bob Simmons. And there was nothing in real estate that I couldn't go to him and say, what would you do? And for the first time ever, he couldn't help me. He couldn't answer that. Nobody could. Nobody knows exactly. I, we still don't know what is to come and what the long-term ramifications were. So I, that fear was so intense for me. Um, it's also very foreign to me. I've, I've been blessed to never really suffer from anxiety or depression. I find fear to be very useless. You know, caution, fine. Fear, I have no use for it. Um, and I found myself overwhelmed and, and almost crippled with fear for a period of time. Fear and sadness are two different things. And so the initial fear sparked this anxiety in me. And I would say after going into about week three, when my husband, who I tease all the time as a metrosexual, and I looked over and he looked like Grizzly Adams, and my kids were bouncing off the walls, and I realized that as crazy as my life was, as hectic as real estate was, as 24-7 as it was, I was so sad that my phone was not ringing off the hook about buying or selling real estate. And as much as I loved that, loved, I have loved every extra moment with my family, I have also experienced a great loss of something that I am incredibly passionate about. So I, I remember that moment and just kind of breaking down, kind of hysterically. And, you know, so the kids thought they did something wrong. My husband did, thought he did something wrong. And, and it wasn't that. It was just that sense of overwhelming uncertainty and a sense of loss. What is it like as a, as a small business owner that just purchased a business watching and waiting for the governor to make a move? Well, I, I feel really selfish in sharing this, Scott, and, and it's embarrassing because there are people fighting for their lives, you know, and there are people fighting for their livelihood. Um, so I, I'm embarrassed to say that, yes, I have been glued to the TV waiting for her to say it was okay for us to do our jobs. And we don't have to have a lot of direct contact anyway. I can I commend all of our leaders. I can't imagine what it's like to be in their their position. Uh, same thing. They don't have anybody to turn to to ask their advice because nobody's ever been through this. 
But in an industry where social distancing is absolutely something that we can practice very easily, very effectively, and still help keep a big portion of our financial market moving, yeah, I've been waiting on pins and needles. But when the governor made her announcement this week, we were not included under any of it. And it was devastating. How long can you financially stay where you're at and and maintain ownership? Well, it's a really tough question, and and I guess I I don't know the answer to that because I'm not going to go down without a fight. You know, if if we have to continue making additional sacrifices, we will. Um, The bottom line is we have not been able to write our book of business for over four weeks. So that means that through the month of May and the month of June, we will have zero revenue source. And that's assuming that we're allowed to start doing business at some point in the next two to three weeks. Otherwise, it could be August before we see any revenue. And just like every other company, I mean, we aren't necessarily prepared. I mean, it's one thing to have a light month. We're going to have zero revenue to some extent. Um, It's very hard to think about that going on for months and months. So I'm not sure. We are working with County National Bank. Uh, They've been amazing with us so far. We've been able to pay all of our bills, which is great. Knowing what you know now, sitting at County National Bank and, and, and signing the paperwork in order to purchase the brokerage house, would you do it? Yes. In a heartbeat. I might have made the terms a little different. <laughs> but overall, what, what, I, what Sandy Simmons and I have done was invested in 40 years of goodwill that was created by the brokerage house. And there aren't very many entities here, period, that can say the same thing. And even though I'm getting older, I still feel very young at heart. I have a lot of energy and excitement and innovative ideas. And I'll tell you what, I was born to sell real estate. If there is someone who was born or destined to be a part of a profession, it's the next guest. Full disclosure, he signs my paychecks. Jamie McKibben, owner-operator. McKibben Media Group. So this is the first time on this podcast that I'm actually interviewing someone face to 10-foot face, which is pretty interesting. But I thought you would be fascinating in that you purchased this group of radio stations. Officially December 12th for Jackson and uh, added Hillsdale February 27th. For the last uh, 25 years, actually, I was the general manager of the radio station as well, remember, here in Jackson anyways. So things have been fantastic. And December was a great month. Of course, it should be because it's Christmas time and everybody wants to advertise for Christmas. January was phenomenal. We had some great events in January. February, our chili cook-off, maybe the best chili cook-off we've ever had. March was good, even though we started about Friday the 13th, hearing the rumblings of what was happening, and then schools started to close, and businesses started to follow suit. And Let's go back to March 13th. It was Friday the 13th when schools closed. Tell me about the conversation that you had with your business partner that evening. I think there was a lot of uncertainty that evening. Um, my business partner is my wife. My wife's a teacher, 
at Western schools. So there was confusion on what was going to happen with her job. So there was a lot of uncertainty. That conversation was, I think we remained calm, which we still are, but there was a lot of uncertainty then. And there's a little uncertainty now. At what time did you get together with your leadership and say, okay, we are having these people stay home and they're going to work from home. And and these are the people we need you to come in. So it was shortly after St. Patrick's Day, because I know St. Patrick's Day was a weird one. We had so many live broadcasts that were lined up for that day, teaming up with partners downtown, with restaurants, with beer distributors, to just have the fun that we always have. And then all of a sudden, uh, everybody pulled the plug on that, including us. We decided that that wasn't appropriate to have a gathering I think it was a day or two later we made the de- we made the decisions here at the station that it would be appropriate for the people who could work from home would work from home. Now clearly everybody at the station couldn't do that and I think we gave some the option if they wanted to do that they could and some of our on-air staff did work from home. But the promotions people, the people in the office, the sales staff they, we thought that it would be appropriate for them to work from home. And not all media companies did that. A lot of the larger conglomerates did because, remember, they've got more people coming in and out of their building every day. But some of the smaller companies like radio stations, um, you know, as small as Hillsdale, Coldwater, or, as, or, or, or medium size like a Jackson or a Battle Creek, some of those stations decided that they would leave it upon their employees to just continue to be safe. But we felt that it was important to have safety be the first priority and let people work from home. Have you gotten used to video conferencing, the Zoom meetings? No. (laughs) You know the answer to that. No, no, I hate them, actually. They're not my favorite thing uh, ever. I I, I really love that face-to-face interaction unfortunately that's not the world that we live in during during this pandemic and i think that's something that you and i understand in in being in radio on a daily basis that radio really isn't just coming in and sitting behind a microphone and talking and entertaining or informing or pontificating on on what team's going to do what it's really about what we call the front of the house which is the sales team and It is a symbiotic relationship between the two, but without one, there isn't another. Right. And it requires communication to the nth degree. This business of media, it's communications, but we often say we're in the communications business and we can't even communicate (laughs) with one another. So then you add the fact that the front of the house, as you referred to it, and as radio refers to it and television refers to it, you you, you have the sales and marketing folks working from home and then some of the on-air people working from home, but some of them working here. Uh, it really uh, can throw a monkey wrench into things. And I think that we've done a pretty good job of communicating. But there are those days where you just want to set somebody down in the conference room and hash something out and work it out, and you can't. And that's what I think a lot of us miss is just walking into someone's office door and it, oftentimes you would see a lineup outside the sales manager's store or outside the promotions or outside of... As much as we all used to complain about that, <laughs> the lines at the doors, I miss that. 
I miss the fact that people need something. I miss the fact that there's a line at my door so that I can help them with something face-to-face. We as as an industry are sitting on the edge of our seats every time the governor has an address so that we can then in turn both react on the air and off the air. I I think that the community uh, is sitting on the edges of their chairs listening to the governor speak on our radio stations, too. Friday, the 24th of April, when Governor Whitmer spoke at 11 o'clock and then slowly said, we're going to open a few things back up if you're careful. Landscapers can go back to work. You can now boat. There's certain things that you can do. And the phone started ringing because businesses in the area said, okay, it's time for me. It's time for me to let people know what I can and can't do. We're going to be reopening. We, we want people to know what's going on. Then it got busy again. I think you're, you're fortunate. And, and you've said it to me um, that you have two people that you've been able to turn to. Absolutely. I, um, I, I work for Bruce and Sue Goldson who were, tremendous owners of of radio stations and adrian and hillsdale and and jackson for 27 years and of that 27 years uh, i work for them the majority of that time um, my relationship clearly was different with them when they worked here i was their right hand guy there were times that we butted heads because i think that's healthy uh, i had ideas they had ideas we had a tremendous relationship when I worked with them, but it's even better now. Um, How so? They're, they're, they don't have to help me, but they have. We, we talk every day. We talk about something that we can do to make it better or to tighten it up or to just make it a better machine while this is going on. We talk every day about something, and we both, all three of us, Bruce, Sue, and myself, we bring ideas to the table. And a lot of my ideas come from my wife, too, when we're sitting at home in the evening. And then I bring them to work, and then we all discuss them. So they've, they've been great. They really have been great. And, um, you know, once you sell your business, you can walk away. I told them that the other day on the phone. You, you don't have to help me. Um, but it's in their blood. Radio is in, in business. Is in, 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 and once you got it, it's in your blood. And it's in their blood, and they're here to help. So it's greatly appreciated. And it's made my life a lot easier, to be honest with you, if there is such a word as easier right now. In the world of media, I think the public's perception is we walk into work each and every day and we're handed talking points. And this is this is uh, what this side of the aisle says. This is what the other side of the aisle says. That's the public's perception of, of global media and the 24-hour news cycle. What sets us apart Yeah, being able to talk to local decision makers and local leaders really sets us apart. And the other thing that sets us apart, to be quite honest with you, there's no politics involved with what we're doing locally. Yes, on our airwaves, we do have shows that lean one way or another, but in our newscast and in our factual information that we're putting out about our communities, we're talking about what's happening. And there's no political influence at all. We're not considered... You know, the big media companies. I think that sets us apart. I think every day is an adventure. Someone that I looked up to in this business a long time ago used to say that a lot. Every day is an adventure. And we have to 
we just got to sail the ship the right way. And I think that we're doing a decent job of doing that right now. And like I said, I think it's going to be fun on the back end, whatever that means. And whenever that is, it's going to be fun to actually high five again, (laughs) you know, or fist bump or hug. I'm a hugger. I like to hug people. Even when it's uncomfortable before, you've ever been in that situation where you hug a client or a business person in the community and they're like, oh, you're doing this. That never has bothered me ever. And I've had that reaction before in the hallway here. You know, you, you reach in for a hug and they're like, oh, I don't care. I look forward to that awkwardness of being able to hug someone again someday. And I don't know the time frame. That's probably not any time soon, but I really look forward to that. Embracing seems to be a common theme. Embracing change, embracing a new challenge, and for this next small business owner, embracing his team. My name is Nicholas Green. I'm the owner of Rocky Top Beer and Barbecue here in Jackson, Michigan. Doing curbside takeout of our real good barbecue and plenty of other menu items for you guys to enjoy during these times. March 16th in the morning, you had until 2 o'clock to shut down your dine-in services. Tell me about that day. All the way up until 2 o'clock, this restaurant was full. You know, people are having a good time, drinking some beers, eating some great food. Uh, and then after that, just uh, just started advertising, transitioning into carryout and takeout. Um, and that continued to, to blend. The only big hurt was, you know, we had some St. Patrick's Day stuff, some green beer and some corned beef, egg rolls and everything like that, that we had prepped ready to go. But we ended up uh, selling out, out of all of it and uh, still have some great following and support um, while this is all going on. So we transitioned into no, no alcohol, uh, we do have howlers and growlers that continue to sell out the door. Going from the bulk of it being dine-in to now everything being curbside and takeout, how, how long did it take you to figure out a system? Um, it was a transition. It took a day or two. I sat down with a couple of my managers up front. We went over a schedule, how we're going to do this, and we came up with a nice system where we have one girl doing the takeout orders, uh, a couple girls bagging them up for you, and a couple bringing them right out to your car. So. After a couple of days, you know, of training, we all got a great system down um, with the, the employees, you know, that are working. Like I said, set schedules. We're all still all a family, and they're all transitioning into it. Same with the kitchen, you know. We didn't know what to expect. I uh, slowed the kitchen up a little bit, but that, you know, obviously wasn't going to be what was going to work. So we had to bring back some more guys to get back in the kitchen and, and prep some more food because of the overwhelming support we're doing. But the transition was great. I mean, the girls caught on real quick. We're still using our software we normally use, and, and the takeout option and curbside, you know, we tell them where to park, um, what direction, you know, and give a description of the car. So these girls are learning about vehicles as we go, too. <laughs> so then you've you've alluded to it a few times here, Nick. You've talked about the family environment and, and how you're all very close there, and you embrace your staff each and every day. I imagine there were some difficult conversations that happened. Yeah, yeah, there was. There was, you know, we just gave the option, you know, once this first started, once we – got that message on the 16th um whatever you know employee didn't feel comfortable uh want to take some time off or any other employee that had a second job to give these girls that they're you know the the employees that really wanted to be here and still want to you know take care of the rocky top business and, and keep it moving forward nobody got upset everybody understood uh and that's that's why i say we're like a family everybody here likes each other t- tries to take care of each other so everybody can be well taken care of waiters and waitresses servers in general going on unemployment it just doesn't make sense because of the wage that's that's correct i mean i know they had that little extra stimulus where you get like an extra 600 bucks but you know down the road i mean i'm the girls are making still pretty good tips here getting taken care of 
Um, you know, I'm taking care of them with pay wage and, and stuff like that. And just to see, uh, you know, see the regulars that used to come in during the dine-in situation and, and seeing them and bringing the, the food out to them is just still spectacular with the support. But everybody's taking care of each other. The people that went on unemployment um, understood. And I told them, you know, when this is all over, they were great employees. I'll bring them right back. How do you do you fear for those that are on unemployment? And I see this in every job sector. Employers are concerned that employees have become satisfied with the wage they're receiving on unemployment. And if and when we are all called back to uh, our regular jobs, that some will just stop to say, no, I'm good. I'm going to stay right here. I don't expect any of my employees to do that. If I did, it'd be a shocker. But uh, we'll continue to move on from there and have people that, you know, that are currently working, pick up extra hours and just do what they love doing is working at Rocky Top. Did you have to engage a third party as far as delivery goes? Uh, we did. We uh, we ended up going with DoorDash. We gave it a first try. We've never done it before, and it, it shot off right away. I mean, um, I've used it myself in the past. I think it's a great idea. They're doing a great promotion right now during these times, um, and we're trying it right now. We don't do it on Thursday, unfortunately, because that's our wing day. We're already pushing four to 5,000 wings out the door on Thursday still. Um, but with that, it's definitely uh, helped us uh, exceed some sales and, and get a little extra cash flow going for the restaurant. I think the biggest, toughest part was uh, preparing the food, how much food, because we do all our food fresh. You know, smoking meat, you can't just smoke 30 racks of ribs on a Monday and sell them out for the week. You know, you want to do it fresh every single day. So it took us a couple of days on how busy we were going to be to kind of put an eye on it, how DoorDash was going to do, um, and the feedback we'd get from that to be able to keep our as many uh, menu items available as we do because we're still doing our full menu. Um, so there'd, there'd be a day we ran out of our barbecue burn ends. It was just more popular than one day. We'd prep it fresh the next day. So I think that's just been the biggest uh, difficulty with the transition to how much food we prep so we're not over-prepping and having non-fresh food. Is there an additional cost then? Do you have to pay DoorDash? How does that work? Right now, DoorDash is waiving all fees. And uh, if you want food... Any item of, I believe, any order of $15 or more, they waive the Dasher fee. You know, there's a fee for the Dasher coming to pick it up. But there's no contract through DoorDash right now, and it's a 0% fee for them. So I planned on using it until this is all good to go because, you know, once we do the dining again, depending on what restrictions, I have a feeling we're just going to take off because we had that good following, that good clientele. Um, and I don't know if we'll need it then. We'll see how we go from there. But it's no contract as well, which is pretty nice, so you can cancel at any time. Even though you're aware and I'm aware that DoorDash doesn't work for Rocky Top, um, if there was any apprehension in allowing somebody else to represent your organization? Uh, I believe the only thing uh, people were worried about are, you know, the, the girls doing the curbside and worried about because when you use DoorDash, the actual server or whatnot does not receive a tip. The dasher, the person who's coming to pick it up, receives the tip. So they were a little worried it would reflect and slow down the curbside takeout and reflect their tips. But as we have noticed in the past few weeks, that hasn't stopped at all. We're actually still doing a little more curbside than we are our DoorDash. I mean, we're still getting that great following. And it's on the DoorDash's opinion, too. When we had a DoorDasher get tipped 20 bucks, they gave 10 of it to, for the servers to split up. So it's all on that end. And once it started, they were a little nervous. But now in the past couple of weeks, they're still making great money here at Rocky Top. What is it then that you're anticipating? I imagine you've been watching all those TVs there in Rocky Top. Uh, watching the governor's address, just waiting, waiting, waiting. Do you think we're ready to be back into a dining room situation? 
Um, I don't know if, you know, it's still, numbers are still out there, obviously, and there's still plenty more tests to be done. I like how we're plateauing. I think if, uh, if she opens up, you know, does open up the restaurant industry, it'll be kind of like, you know, with, with some exceptions, like she did with the golf courses and, and out there boating and everything. If they could do something for maybe half capacity or anything, make sure your tables are six feet apart. Right now, our max capacity is 150. So if we brought that down to 75, I did a floor chart already to prepare for it and which tables we can use and stuff like that to practice and, you know, definitely use the social distancing. If you're doing half the dining room, that's got to have a tremendous impact on your business plan. Yeah, absolutely, because that opens back up uh, Michigan Lottery. You know, we did a lot of keynote sales here as well as our uh, bar. Like I said, we do howlers and growlers, but obviously we're not going through as much beer. Uh, we're still pushing out some, but um, be open all of that, the TVs, the sports and stuff, and just get that environment back and rolling. Uh, we'll still probably all for the curbside. Like I said, we'll probably DoorDash once or twice just to get the feel of it because we don't know. I have a good feeling that we're going to get, you know, slammed right away. I've been out and about, and I just still see a lot of people out there, you know, getting their essentials and getting what they need. And, you know, we have good food. Food is essential for people to eat. And um, I just have a feeling we'll get a great following. All the regulars will try to come back, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. I think it's going to be a great turnaround, but obviously we take the precautions of doing it. Do you think the restaurant business will ever be the same again? Um, I I think it's going to be bigger. I mean, it's – Especially, I mean, maybe not this year, but in the years to come, because I know people are missing that. I mean, I can see that with the curbside takeout and the DoorDash orders that we're getting. It's that environment of coming and seeing your regular people, your servers that you know that have been taking care of you for years and having conversations with them. And and I think it's it'll be it'll be good, if not even better, if you did have a good following going into this, going into this uh, pandemic we had. But we have a we had a great local following it took took a while to get this place established and get known for for good service good food and good fun, good family fun so i think when it when it does boil over i, I think we'll still be doing good i know it's uh, it's tough times right now but uh thanking my employees obviously i wouldn't be wouldn't be here without them like i said family that's that's how i feel about them the feeling of family is palpable when you walk into rocky top you can feel the pride and the kinship that nick refers to but how do you react to a global pandemic when your family name is also on the sign out front and photos of your parents, your grandparents, and even your great-grandparents adorn your lobby? My name is Dave Kraft. I'm with the Kraft Agency here in Jackson. And I've been part of the family business now 24 years, something like that. Before all of this happened, tell me what a typical day was like in the world of craft insurance. I'm not sure there is anything typical, which is one of the great things about our business. We are in the business of reassuring people and protecting their assets, whether it be a business, a home, vehicles, what have you. From a health insurance provider standpoint, how has this changed the way that you're, you're approaching things currently? We're coming at things from a different perspective. Uh, We are really spending a large majority of our time fielding questions about how things are covered. Are they covered? Um, You know, what will it cost? How will this impact my business in terms of health insurance? You know, as you're probably aware, I think all of the leading health insurance carriers uh, have agreed that copays and things of that nature are going to be waived for COVID testing. They're 
trying to do what they can to make sure everyone gets the care that they need at a reasonable price um, from a health insurance perspective specifically. From a business perspective, most clients are saying, hey, I've had to shut my business down or I've had to furlough employees or um, you know, I have less revenue coming in than I would have how does my insurance respond to that? And unfortunately, the short answer to that question is that it doesn't because a loss of business income that a business may experience as a result of this shutdown is not something that was ever contemplated under the traditional insurance policies as they're written in America or really anywhere in the world today. And in order for that business income coverage to kick in, which most businesses have, they have to have a covered property loss that triggers it, like a fire, a tornado, you know, theft, something that prevents you from doing business, then your insurance policies would pay to replace or repair your damage, but also would replace the income that you would have had had you been up and running. But since there isn't any property damage, that business income coverage is not in fact kicking in. And that's not something that you know any insurance agent really predicted or could have done something different. That's simply the way coverage works today. Now what my crystal ball will say is that in the future, insurance carriers are going to be offering some type of pandemic coverage if your business is closed as a result of something like this. And it may be an additional coverage that you can opt into or opt out of. It may, it may um, result in something along the lines of post 9-11 when Congress enacted the Terrorism Risk Insurance Act. And as a result of that, uh, all insurance policies, all commercial insurance policies today come with a terrorism endorsement that you can opt out of and you can save a little bit of premium saying, you know, in the unlikely, hopefully unlikely event that uh, my business is damaged or closed as a result of a terrorist act, then, you know, you could get coverage for the damage and or the loss of income. So when people locally think uh, from Jackson, think about the craft insurance agency, they think uh, business, health, uh, life, they think uh, vehicle, they think home. They, that, that's what they right. think about. But uh, on a national level, the craft insurance agency has a, a pretty global footprint. And let me read off some of the specialty insurance programs that you guys do. And I'm, I'm going to ri- yeah. list these in in, uh, in an order that has been affected, at least what I think you might have been affected by the pandemic. You tell me yes or no. Uh, marine and boat dealers. Absolutely. Um, you know, people, especially in Michigan, people are uh, clamoring to get back on the water. And, and, you know, being outside and, you know, in the elements, I think, is healthy for everybody, no matter what and no matter when. But, um, you know, will people have a pent-up demand to go boating? I suspect that they will. Uh, I certainly hope that they will. But those businesses were truly shut down for uh, what was pro- what probably their typical busy buying season. There's one that you insure on a national basis. Another one, salon, spa, beauty, and tanning salons. Yeah, that's a tough one. 
those guys all obviously have been shut down and uh and you know, I'm not sure when they'll be back up and running, but um, that's going to be a really hard-hit industry, and uh, you really feel for all the workers and business owners in that particular field. And then it's I know it's going to be hard to get back. The food industry—you actually insure the kitchens themselves on a national basis. Yep, that's true, and um, you know, a lot of these restaurants have pivoted so quickly and so well. Uh, that to just doing takeout or delivery, and it's certainly helping to stem the tide, but uh, it's not like it was, you know, back when they were fully operational. Um, they might be supplementing their lost income by the takeout orders. And, you know, one thing that um, has really impressed me most insurance carriers who provide coverage for restaurants don't really like restaurants that deliver because there's a whole separate set of exposure with an employee out there driving, you know, maybe trying to get the pizza to somebody in 30 minutes or less or something like that. And that can provide some liability exposure for the companies. Um, But I think really without exception, all the insurance carriers have said, we're going to allow delivery without any additional premium surcharge during this time knowing that when these restaurants have to pivot and do things differently in order to maintain their business. Well, and then again, on a national level, I'm going to lump all these three together. Rod and gun clubs, archery, and campgrounds all fall yeah. under things that you insure on a national basis. And, and thinking about the rod and gun clubs, a uh, huge amount of people gathering together, and campgrounds as well. Those industries yep. have got to be... Uh, searching for a way to pivot, but it, it's got to be challenging for them. What have your conversations been like? Yeah, that's been a particularly difficult conversation because, like you mentioned, how do they pivot when the essence of their business is really large-scale gatherings? Um, you know, the rod and gun clubs, uh, the gun clubs in particular, you, you can socially distance when you're utilizing the range, um, certainly you can socially distance while you're fishing and things of that nature. You know, the camping uh, might be more difficult, but uh, just because of the nature of the, of the activity is such that it's, it's community-based, and that's, that's a difficult thing to, to really enforce keeping, keeping distance. So these guys are going to figure it out, but uh, it's going to be a new normal. It's going to be some time. But I do think there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand for activities that get people outdoors and get people doing things that are active. Well, especially with campgrounds and restaurants, their business model is based on time and square footage, meaning in order for a restaurant or a campground to have a successful night, they've got to have X amount of square feet filled with X amount of paying customers and be able to turn them over in X amount of time. Right. Um, and, and, and now, even if a restaurant, now if we're staying within social distancing guidelines, let's say your, your maximum capacity is 250 people. By my estimation, you're going to have to at least cut that in half, which is going to be 125 people. And similarly, if you've got 250 slots in a campground, you cut that in half. Your profitability, profitability rather, is, is uh, endangered at this point. Absolutely, and your expenses probably haven't gone down. 
certainly not commensurate with the drop in revenue, but your expenses for, to a large part for those businesses are, are mostly fixed. Um, but, yeah, that's it, it's going to be tough. It's so going to be very tough. What is – But I also think that it's something that um, – that we as Jacksonians and Michiganders need to keep at the forefront of our thoughts because when it is safe to get back out there and do things, we really need to do it. And we need to do it on as much of a local level as we possibly can. I mean, nothing against Amazon or, or any other national or international company. Let's buy local to whatever extent we possibly can. Support the people in our community not just emotionally but uh but financially shop where you live i've heard that a lot lately shop where you live my next phone call was to a man who lives and works on the same plot of land his parents did and he and his family haven't let a pandemic get in the way of their day-to-day uh, my name is steve beckley um the uh, owner of Flavor Fruit Farms with my lovely wife, Adrian, And uh, we are a local agritourism slash brewery slash bakery location. We do not only our own bakery items, but we also have our brewery and our cidery, uh, as well as seasonal festivals and things that we host. Uh, in the fall and throughout the year. Uh, My parents started the farm in 1956, and uh, currently I'm the second generation, and there's a third generation uh, that uh, is actually coming along. You start a brand new brewery in August of last year is when it's up and running. The investment that you've had in that, we've discussed it in the past. I don't need to know numbers, but that's a pretty significant investment. Yes, it was, uh, you know, to... To, to go from uh, just producing cider, which we had a lot of that infrastructure uh, in place, and do the hard ciders in addition to what we were doing, was a, it was a step, but it wasn't that big of a leap. Uh, but I have to say that putting in the brewery was truly um, more of a leap of faith. And so for both, you know, Adrian and myself and, and our kids, you know, Nick and, and Lindsay and Lincoln and now Elise, um, you know, you, you, as, as the, the father figure of that group, you want to make sure you're making, you know, good fiscal decisions. And uh, I can say that uh, it's been a, you know, it's been a success. It's been doing very well. Enter March of, of 2020, and with all the new investments you've put in there, suddenly COVID-19 creeps into all of our consciousness and our vocabulary changes. We now socially distance and uh, hand sanitize on an hourly basis. When that, when that initially happened, what was going through your mind, Steve, as the owner of a small well, business? Foremost in our minds was our, you know, our staff's safety. Um, the confidence and safety of our customers and of our family. Uh, so we brought everybody together, you know, all of our staff that had been working together all winter, and we had a meeting. And it was very simple. It was, um, what do you guys think? Are you comfortable with this? Do you want to continue? Um, 
And uh, if we continue, we're going to do it, you know, based on the CDC and what the, you know, uh, what the recommendations from the health officials are. And so we were able to do that and stay open, you know, as an essential business, uh, someone that was serving food and providing food. Not only that, but we also fall under the agriculture uh, side of things as well. So when we decided that we could do that, and we could do it, you know, and be confident and comfortable um, providing people the, the, you know, amount of social distancing that they would need if they were to come into the store to uh, create and start uh, a curbside pickup. That, you know, in my mind, we, you know, we totally evolved the business literally in about two weeks, 10 days. And we're also now uh, on a fast track to having our online virtual store available so folks can purchase from there and then come and, you know, uh, pick it up at the farm curbside. So certainly, you know, a lot of uh, very quick schooling was taking place at the, at the onset of this. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's something you, you know, I, I, failure's never been an option for us. So you figure it out. With all the changes that, that have come through, what are your discussions like with your team and, and with your family, uh, how to forecast the next quarter? Because it's unlike anything else that we've ever faced. Well, and that's that's interesting because, um, you know, we don't know. We don't know what this is going to do. Um, we know that currently, uh, based on what the models and everything that they're looking at and what data we do have, which I believe we have the best data, you know, of, of anyone in the world, in my opinion, you know, almost transparent data, uh, that I think going forward, you know, we're, we're going to see folks that are going to be more cautious. Um, and I really don't think that we as a, as a country will ever go back to, you know, where we were six months or three months ago. Um, we're going to, you know, consciously social distance. We're going to, until there's a vaccine, I think that um, I don't know what the new normal really will look like. I'm confident that uh, we're going to continue to be able to do what we do, you know, this fall with, um, you know, some changes. Um, we've got a lot of area for people to be in so that people don't have to be, you know, up close and personal. Um, you know, we can spread those groups of, of people out. And, you know, for the folks that aren't comfortable being out in public and until this thing is completely put to rest, you know, I, I think they should probably, you know, continue to shelter. And if they're at risk, certainly we don't want them to, um, you know, expose themselves. But I think we're going to get back to some level of normalcy, I think, by the summer. Um, at least that's, you know, I'm, I'm always an eternal optimist. Um, but at the same time, I, you, you, can't, uh, you can't be fearful of what you don't know. You know, we just have to be smart and evolve with this thing as it, as it develops and, and really evolve the business, you know, going forward. 
And, and with the evolution of business, there's something you said to me yesterday while we were talking about this on the phone, and I never thought about it, but it did, it did stick with me. You have two people answering the phone, Steve, and they have the challenge of describing a donut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you know, you, you never really, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because we're getting a lot of new customers as well, which is great, you know. Um, but it's not uncommon for us to spend 10 or 15 minutes on the phone uh, taking an order for just a dozen donuts because of the variety that we have. So what we're trying to do, Adrian's working really hard uh, with our web developer um, out of Ann Arbor to develop, you know, our online store so folks can go in and see those individual items and a description. But, you know, you have to fully describe a maple bacon donut. Uh, you have to fully describe, you know, a uh, an apple fritter um, and those sound like real simple things to do but when you stop and think about it it's not so much you know i mean i could i can write two paragraphs about apple fritters depending on the time of year you got them and what apples we pick to put in them so you know it just comes down to really creating a taste or a sense of normal for people right now is a big deal for us we just want to create a little normal so it's getting a bag of fresh warm donuts and, uh, you know, either a, a beer to go with them later or taking them home and having a cup of coffee with them. If that's normal, then that's what we want to create for folks. Can you describe an apple fritter for me, Steve? Oh, boy. You know, it is a delicious uh, yeast-raised donut that has, uh, right now, actually two different varieties of apples. We have Honeycrisp and uh, Macintosh that are being uh, made into those. And just the right amount of cinnamon and sugar, and all of that dough is incorporated together uh, in kind of a haphazard way, if you will. Um, But they're chopped together and then fried to perfection. And then it's got a vanilla bean glaze over the top that uh, just, oh, you know, nothing like it. As you're forecasting the fall festival, you talked about uh, adapting your fall festivals, which really are a fall tradition. It's something that the family, hey, we haven't been out to to uh, Meckley's Flavor Fruit Farm. We we gotta go. We gotta go grab ourselves a pumpkin. We gotta go take a hayride. We gotta hop in the the bounce house. If all of this uh, stays the same and we're vaccineless, then what are you going to have to change? It really comes down to making sure that your your customer, you know, is is going to feel safe and comfortable, um, you know, coming in and shopping in your location. So, again, it'll it'll have to be, you know, uh, cleanliness is going to be key. Uh, you know, staff and and how your staff uh, addresses your your customers and different things like that. All those different things are going to come into play. I really feel, you know, myself personally, there's a lot of small restaurants, you know, in our area and different things, movie theaters, uh, you know, you name it, that, I mean, if you take a diner that only has, uh, you know, 25 seats in it to begin with and you make them cut that down to 10 uh, because of social distancing, how is that going to look for those folks? You know, how's that going to work? I, I don't know. So 
long term, I think we'll figure it out in the next six to 12 months. We kind of have to just, you know, play it by ear and and do whatever we have to, to to stay afloat, you know, as small businesses. So who do you turn to if you're a small business and you feel like you're treading water? Who sends you a lifeline? Who hops in the raft and rows out to save you? Uh, Craig Hatch, the new president of the Jackson Chamber and Experience Jackson. What was your first day? What was the date? Uh, That would be the 23rd of uh, March, which was the day that uh, the governor put out the order for us all to go home. So I got sent home my first day at, uh, almost like school, you know, I got sent home my first day of class. I got sent home my first day of work. That had to have been a a pretty monumental challenge for day one. It has been, and I have to give the team and the boards a lot of credit for helping me manage through this in my new position. So again, I give past leadership and and the board and the team all the credit to help me through what continues to be a challenge, obviously, for for all of us here in Jackson. Well, being the president of a chamber of commerce, uh, there's a lot of flesh that's pressed. You're shaking a lot of hands. You're face-to-face with a lot of people. And I imagine it's been difficult to solidify the relationships needed in order to hold that position. Uh, How have you met that challenge? It's very difficult right now to try to build those. So a lot of phone calls, a lot of not in person, unfortunately, which is a part of what we're trying to do. So, again, it, it has been a big challenge. But, again, I will say that, and it's a part of the reason I wanted to be in this in this position, is the Jackson community and the Jackson businesses, you know, everybody, it's, it's, a, it's a great community and a great set of businesses that are trying to support each other. So um, as much as it's a challenge, uh, we will get through it with this community. Well, in that, when you say it's a challenge, uh, it's not like there was a tornado that went through downtown Jackson or went through a business district and, and wiped out a couple of businesses. This is wholesale change, adapting, and pivoting across every single business in Jackson. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, whether you've been in business for two days or 100 years, everybody is heavily affected by this and everybody has to change their thought process now whether they're able to be open or they're not able to be open wait to see when they can open completely i mean from budgets to operationally everybody has to rethink and get very creative during these tough times give me your definition your description your elevator speech of what a chamber of commerce does really a chamber supports its members in its community uh, the Jackson Chamber is 750 plus members, and all of those members, nonprofits, businesses, and individuals, they all have a goal of obviously improving their business, strengthening their business or their organization, and doing that within this community. Everything the Chamber is, is about the people, the businesses, the nonprofits, and the community within Jackson County. So our goal and job is to inform and support and, and build that organization for those individuals and those those businesses to be a part of so of those 750 businesses i imagine there's a few that have reached out to the chamber for some advisement yes obviously through boy the cares act and figuring out whether you're you can apply for a loan or a grant um can i be open can i not be open those are all things we've we've tried to assist and it had some you know great we have some great resources too with with our local government and um state government that's been very, very helpful to help us try to navigate these 
unprecedented times. You know, again, there's there's no playbook for this. There's there was no book to pull off the shelves and say, okay, uh, COVID 19s here. How do we operate? So it's it's been a a day by day for everyone, and we're just trying to support that. It's obviously uh, very frustrating for everybody who's. Uh, I mean, everybody's hit by this, and and very a ton are hit hard by this. And to drive downtown and not come down Michigan Ave and just see every parking space taken up and, and seeing people moving around and going into shops and going into restaurants. It's very disheartening, uh, especially for this position. Um, again, uh, we know it's going to come back. It's going to take time, and, and we're trying to be very supportive of those businesses and entities that are trying to hold on. I imagine the chamber is, is putting into place some return-to-work plans and advisements for their members? We are. Um, we continue to, you know, I'm kind of, we're kind of looking at this in stages. Stage one is when we continue every day to have more and more cases and we're staying home. Um, at some point, as we, we see, we're kind of looks like we're plateauing. As you start coming down and businesses are thinking about opening, we're trying to put some plans together that, you know, we know these businesses are hurting and we know that this is most likely one of the most, if not the most important time of, of the life cycle of that business to come back out of this and be whole again. So we're certainly trying to figure out the best way to support our, our members and our, our community, um, doing a few surveys, asking a lot of people questions to figure out how we can best support as we come out of this. What have some of the answers been? Boy, there, there aren't a lot of answers yet. Um, if, if, there were, if there was a, a plan that we knew how we were going to come out of this, what businesses are going to open first? Is it going to be over a month? Is it going to be over six months uh, as businesses, different types of businesses are allowed to open? So we're really we're building a, a higher level vision right now to be prepared as we learn more from, from our governor um, as to how we're going to be able to help these businesses open. Uh, we'll continue to kind of build on that plan. I imagine there's been some very vocal frustration from certain businesses when look at, uh, well, X is allowed to return to business, but uh, Y is not, even though X and Y operate the same way. There's so many nuances. You know, it's easy to say this, this, or, you know, X, Y, and Z companies can open and ABCs can't. But then you start looking a little bit deeper and say, well, well we're so much close. We look a lot like that business. Why can't we? Uh, and, and we've had a lot of that. Um, the best we can do is we help them navigate with our knowledge and get them in touch with the right people. And most people are frustrated, but they understand. And, you know, it, it's, it's a very tough time when you're looking at your livelihood. Um, you'd be surprised how many people they still they understand that it's not you know it's not our fault it's nobody's fault it's something we're all working through. Looking towards the summer, the Gus Macker tournament, we've got uh, the Hot Air Jubilee with the first uh, the Rose Parade has been canceled for the year. Uh, we're looking at the Carp Carnival, which is a huge part of the experience Jackson experience uh, being canceled. And a lot of businesses rely on and bank on and plan on the influx of cash that comes in at that time. So as a chamber, how can you help? Uh, how can you help these people understand? Boy, that's tough. And, and you, it's the chamber and experience, Jackson. Um, you know, and there's the Blues Fest. And you could go on and on in Michigan International Speedway. And, and all. I mean, their, their season should have started by now with, with all of their rentals. And the effect that has on our community in Jackson and Brooklyn and it's 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 one of those things that you just have to have honest conversations and try to help because there are no answers. You know, we have we have our golf tournament that uh, would be coming up in less than a month, or our golf outing that we've now postponed 
but we postponed to we don't know when. And everybody's in that vote or vote, and there's just there's no real answers for it. And that's again, all we can do is continue to try to research and learn and listen and support. Um, and again, you know, the, we we have conversations every day with some of those businesses or some of those events. And we can't give a lot of advice, but we certainly can give a lot of support, and we can take their questions, and if we can't answer them, we'll try to find the answers for them. And, we, and unfortunately, again, there's not always an answer. There's not always a good answer. That's just the tough part about this is sometimes out of your three choices of an answer, all three are not great at this point in time. You almost feel like you need to invent the crystal ball. Yeah, um, <laughs> something, because uh, you know, I, I think I said it the other day, we're literally writing the playbook uh, in real time, you know, day to day and in real time. There, there is no, you know, there, there will be after this, but there, there is nothing to help us figure out how to get through this except working together. In talking with each and every one of these small business owners whose products and services are so completely diverse, serving their community in different ways, the thing they all have in common is an underlying urge to persevere to stand at the base of an oncoming tidal wave and stand their ground. Special thanks to Kevin Nichols, blues god and great friend for the Jackson Stays Home theme song. Thanks to this week's guest, Jennifer Scanlon of the Brokerage House, Jamie McKibben, owner of McKibben Media Group and signer of my check. Nick Green of Rocky Top Beer and Barbecue, Dave Kraft of the Kraft Insurance Agency, Steve Meckley of Meckley's Flavor Fruit Farms, and Describer of Donuts, as well as Craig Hatch, who to date has yet to invent the crystal ball, but he's working on it. This is Jackson Stays Home, a production of McKibben Media Group and WKHM News. And the place it comes.